Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody out there in the woods. This week's episode of What Happens in the Woods is brought to you by Nefarious New York. Nefarious New York is the dynamic duo of Allison and Meredith, and they discuss some of the lesser-known cases out there in the Big Apple. And trust me, there are plenty of them. So, if you want to hear some true crime stories from the city that never sleeps, please head over to NefariousNY.com and give them a listen. Bye! Hi, this is Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. If you love true crime and want to hear less-known cases sprinkled with some famous ones... That all happened in New York or are related to New York in some way, please give Nefarious New York a shot. You could check out our website at www.nefariousny.com. Obviously, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram also. We've known each other. We've known each other for so long. <laughs> Just kidding. We've known each other since kindergarten, so uh, we've got a pretty good dynamic and going on. And now we're 44, so that gives you a gauge of Speak how for yourself. Long. You're 44 you, now. And you turn 44 first. Okay. But we are both 44 now. Yeah. <laughs> Check us out. Yes. Give us a listen. Nefarious New York. We've known each other for so long. There. Welcome. You have found What Happens in the Woods, a podcast that covers true crime in the Pacific Northwest. We're happy you're here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Jessica. I'm your host. And with me is my wonderful husband, Bryce. What do you want? <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> That's what are you buttering that. me up for? I'm just enjoying your company now that I'm out of the closet yeah. and I can sit out here in the big girl chair record with you okay okay hello hello um so something that kind of happened this week that was a big deal uh we hit over 500 total downloads of the episodes um that happened on friday the same day our bonus episode was released yay i don't know it's still just kind of a little mind-blowing to think that people we don't know in other parts of the country in other completely different countries are listening to us. It's just, I don't know, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Jesus. Mm, yes, new toys. Yes. All right. <laughs> Great. Okay, I got it out of the way. Thanks. That's, You're welcome. That's awesome. All right. Okay. Um, I was going to say I'm really happy that you know what we're doing is being received. Uh-huh. Well, and you know that just kind of encourages me to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, please share us with any any people that you think might want to listen to us, um, you know, any comments, reviews, they just help us as we're trying to, you know, build this up and get ourselves out there. Um, I really, I mean, we're almost done with this season and we'll come back, um, you know, for season two, I just want it to be better, bigger. Oh, it's going to be. (laughs) Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. (laughs) It will be bigger, better. Yeah. I think I think we'll have more of a you know clear direction and we're just getting these kinks out of the way working things out getting our setup together that's been the main thing so yeah I think we've settled on the setup yeah we just got to implement it so mm, and even in the off season we are working on things like uh, the discord server we're gonna yeah. try and be more active with uh, participants and listeners. Um, so just watch for Instagram or our social media, even the website. Uh, we'll announce when we open up the servers. Yeah, to... we definitely won't be quiet. Oh, I don't know that you can. <laughs> then I could be quiet. No. <sighs> I can. I can. There are times when it just doesn't. Doesn't suit my purpose no. to be vocal. <clears throat> Doesn't happen often. Yeah. <laughs> no. <sighs> All right. Are you ready to get started? What are we talking about this week? So this episode takes us back to Bellevue, Washington. What's uh, in Bellevue. Bellevue. You may remember Bellevue was the town from episode four. We discussed uh, Atif Rafay and Sebastian Burns, who were accused of murdering Atif's family in their home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of freaky. There's some similarities in this case. Um, the first, obviously, being they're in the town of Bellevue. Mm-hmm. Um, second, both the crimes were committed by two young men. Um, I, you will remember if you listen to episode four, you'll remember we kind of aren't sure whether Atif and Sebastian really committed the crimes. There really wasn't any clear evidence. There was the Mr. Big, you know, uh, scandal of it all. Um, if you haven't listened, go back and listen. But definitely in this case, two young men, I'm pretty sure they committed these crimes. Um, the third is the weapon used was a baseball bat and a knife. Oh. Same. Um, Are they copycats? Well, here's the thing. I don't know. Um, the last is that the crime they were accused of was murdering a family. Was it their family? No. So that is the, you know, one one of the noticeable Was it the Rafay family? Crime solved. No. <laughs> I, I mean, the the years are pretty close, too. So, like you said, I, I kind of wondered for a minute if there was a copycat, if there was a link of some kind. Mm-hmm. Nothing's mentioned necessarily, but I wouldn't rule it out. 
But yeah, this case has like undisputable proof that they caught the persons responsible for the crimes. Okay. So we're going to start with the crimes and then we'll get into the um, information on the accused killers. So all four members of the Wilson family were murdered on the night of January 3rd, 1997. Um, Kimberly Wilson, age 20, was the first. She had just returned home from San Diego after joining um, AmeriCorps, which um, in the 90s was a pretty big like thing for people who didn't necessarily want to go into college. Um, I remember them coming around to the school and trying to like get people to sign up. And, and basically it was kind of like on the job training, um, volunteering, activism, that kind of thing. It was, it was like job core kind of stuff. So she had just kind of completed that in San Diego and came home. She was only home for a few days when this happened. Uh, she had gone to a park near her family's home in Bellevue to meet up with a friend and unfortunately, the meeting ended up with her being strangled with a nylon rope and being with a baseball bat and then left for dead, hidden by some trees and debris. Um, her body would not be found until two days later on January 5th by a couple of boys who were riding their bikes along a trail. They noticed her clothing. They like poked at her with a stick, realized it was a body. So they quickly went home um, and one of their moms called the police. Uh, pretty sad. <laughs> it's really shitty. You know, kids finding dead bodies. I had a total stand by me moment. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, you had one personally or are you talking about right now? No, just now. Okay. You said that and stand like, by me. The scene flashed through my head. Sorry. I'm learning all these things. Last episode, I didn't even know about your high school. Bullshit ah. <laughs> with the... The student-teacher relationship. Now I'm. We're talking about dead bodies. What else are you holding out on me? Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> okay. Different I, podcast. Sorry. I don't want to know. Um. So investigators show up. They initially think that uh, it's possible Kimberly committed suicide because of the way the rope was wrapped around her neck and it was frayed at one end. Um. They're searching the area. They're trying to figure out what happened. It's just not adding up. They can't see any place where she would have, um, you know, hung herself and then dropped, basically. Yeah. Nor would she have been that covered in debris and lying face down. It, it just didn't add up. So they find a, a checkbook on her that identifies her and gives the police her address. Um, that's just a couple blocks away. When's the last time you heard of anybody carrying a checkbook on them? <laughs> This is total 90s. Yeah. Yeah. The detectives are kind of, you know, when they report what happened, they're thinking that they're going to show up and have to tell her family members or whoever he, she's living with that they found her dead. And, it, you know, it's not the best trip to make to yeah. somebody's house, you know. Um, so mentally, they're preparing themselves for that. And they get there. Uh, no lights are on at her house. It's kind of dark. Uh, it's like evening time by the time they get there. The Christmas lights are, because it's early January, Christmas lights are on. Cars are parked in the driveway. It's full. So they're thinking somebody's got to be home, but nobody's answering the door. So, you know, gut feeling, they're like, yeah, something's just not right. They go around to the back. They find the patio door unlocked. And after knocking on that and trying to yell for people 
to, you know, come and answer, they, uh, one detective enters the house. Once he gets inside, um, shit obviously is not right. Uh, he quickly finds a bloody scene and three bodies upstairs. And it's confirmed that it's Kimberly's family members. So her parents, William and Rose Wilson, and then her sister, Julia Wilson, who was a senior in high school. Um, like Kimberly, Rose and William had also been bludgeoned horrifically, as well as stomped on and stabbed. Julia had multiple defensive wounds from trying to fight back. Um, in the end, she was stabbed repeatedly in her upper torso, her head, her neck. Her arms were broken um, because she was trying to defend herself and they're beating her with a bat. Oh. Yeah. And her face oh. was beaten in. My God. Yeah. It was, it was horrific. And it really does sound like the Rafay family murders. They were all beaten. There's obviously multiple blood spatters all over the place. And after they find Kimberly's family members this way, they're pretty certain that hers definitely is not a suicide. So when investigating the crime scene, they have a clear bloody imprint of a boot that is found on the back of um, William Wilson, like along his upper back. So somebody stepped on him and they find, um, you know, footprints all over the house. This is kind of crucial evidence that they find because it, it really opens the case. They also realize from the amount of footprints that there are two people involved. So police quickly begin looking at anyone who knew the family. They're, they're asking, you know, any family members, any friends, is there anything that you can think of that would, you know, somebody would want to murder the whole family. Um, both Rose and William are very well liked and respected in their jobs they can't find anything out of the ordinary there. Julia, who, like I said, was still in high school, was said to be like a sweet and shy student. She had no history of trouble. They couldn't figure out. She didn't have like a boyfriend who went psychotic, anything like that. When they were talking to people who knew Kimberly, very quickly came up that some guys in her circle of friends were a little on the sketch side. So here enters our suspects. Uh, David Anderson and Alex uh, Barani. Kimberly had known both of these guys from high school. She had kind of dated David off and on for a few years. They were both 17 years old at the time. They had dropped out of high school and they were said to be um, big into the goth scene. Uh -huh. David had pretty much been using Kimberly for money and she had started documenting how much he owed her because she expected to be repaid. Yeah. Um, they all kind of hung out with a um, goth group that was known as the Saturday night Denny's club where they would go to Denny's, drink coffee, chit chat, hang out, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they, David and Alex were also big into role playing dungeons and dragons type stuff, video games. Um, Alex was also very in and I chuckled. It's not funny, but I chuckle. Um, really into the movie and the TV show Highlander, which Bryce, you and I are very familiar with uh -huh. because my grandma loved to watch grandma. that. Grandma <laughs> yeah. loved those movies. Oh shit. She did. Um, yeah, that was a regular TV show that we watched and yeah, I'm pretty sure that movie was watched at least once a month in my house. So yeah, she, you know, she loves some Sean Connery. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, 
I, I just kind of had to chuckle because my grandma loved that. Yeah. <laughs> and to hear that this guy was, you know, he, so he'd wear his hair, try to imitate, you know, the half ponytail. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to say anything is wrong with being into the, any of those things, you know, Dungeons and Dragons role playing. I, it's, it's not like those things alone will make you like a murderer. But I think in this case, the lifestyle represents where people's minds are. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of playing in an alternate reality where you can be cunning, you can be brutal. Crime really isn't crime because you're role playing. Yeah. Um, being part of the goth community also is not, you know, it's not what people usually make it out to be. It's just like anything else. We mock what we don't understand. And it's, I don't, again, want to claim that it, that is an aesthetic. It's, it's, it's not necessarily uh, anything wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. It just, again, represents a frame of mind. Yeah. The other thing that is similar to the Rafay case is that it was suggested that they followed Nietzsche's um, teachings. So the same guy that they read those books, um, he states that, you know, the Superman theory, mm-hmm. you have higher, in- higher intelligence, you should be allowed to get away with anything that you can get away with because yeah. you're smarter. So police are quick to talk to David and Alex. They claim that uh, their alibi is that they're together all night, uh, that night, playing video games at Alex's house. Um, they are asked about, you know, what kind of shoes they have because they have that bloody foot, the boot print from the crime scene. Mm-hmm. Alex shows them a pair of work, work boots. He says that's the only pair of shoes he has. Um, David doesn't really comment. It's uh, pretty quickly confirmed as bullshit in their alibi. Yeah. When uh, roommates tell police that they both left the house on the night of the third and um, the roommates were like, yeah, Alex has a pair of boots that kind of look like that. That's the tread. That's the sole of the boot. Yeah. So a few days later, police speak to Alex Baruni again, uh, this time down at the police station. He was cooperative, pretty much bored. He like he was not interested at all. Um, He's claiming the same story. And then detectives tell him that they could match his shoe with a footprint found at the crime scene. And they know he had matching, you know, boots that match that that print. They give him a few minutes. He he says he needs to think about it. And they leave the room. They come back. They read him his rights. He waves them. And he gives up the act and he confesses to the crimes. Gave his partner up to? That's the thing. Um, he does not. Oh. So he has details that are specific to the crime. He, um, I mean, the investigators are pretty happy that they... You know, they're matching the details and they, they're they pretty satisfied with they found their guy. When they try to look at motive, he claims that he was, quote unquote, in a rut. Uh-huh. And he had been planning to murder someone for over a year just to do it. Wow. Um, he talks about how he strangled Kimberly while someone else beat her up. And how they went through the Wilson home murdering her family. However, he never names his accomplice. Never. Oh. Yeah. Um, 
Um, they know from his statements, though, that David Anderson is really his only friend. Yeah. And he would do anything for him. So when they talk to David a day later, he acknowledges that obviously he lied. He wasn't with Alex at his house playing video games yeah. that night. Um, but he won't admit that he did anything. He claims he spent the night driving aimlessly around Seattle and Bellevue in his girlfriend's dad's truck. Um, he says he knew that Alex was planning on killing the Wilson family, but he couldn't give any reason why he would do that. Yeah. He, he was just basically, he's saying that they knew each other, but he didn't think that Alex ever hung out with her or had been really close with her. Um, he told detectives that he hadn't spoken to Kimberly in over a year, that David himself had not spoken to Kimberly. So he didn't even know why, why Alex would do it. So it's confirmed by David's girlfriend that he had her dad's truck, but she says it had basically the same amount of gas in it from when he borrowed it to when he returned it. Mm -hmm. And he had told her that he sat in the truck that night in the park. He didn't go anywhere that he was just sitting in the truck all mm. night. Okay. Um, and again, Alex's roommates contradict the story completely saying that they saw Alex and David leave the house at 10 30 PM on the night of the third. And that one roommate had stayed up until about three o'clock in the morning. Hadn't come back yet. Another roommate said that after three 30 in the morning, they returned, they were fully dressed in black, um, acting shady. They claim, um, that when they left that night at 10.30, they drove off in the truck that David had borrowed from his girlfriend. So with all this information, investigators get permission to search the guy's homes. They find pretty much damning evidence. At David's house, they find bloody boots that match the print from the crime scene. Uh -huh. um, his girlfriend and his brothers confirm they're his boots. DNA found on the boots would be a match to William and his daughter, Julia. Um, at Alex's house, they find a VCR telephone and CD player. Again, kind of reminds me of the Rafe murders. Yeah. Um, all of those three things have DNA on them that's linked to the Wilson family. Um, they impounded the truck that David had borrowed and found similar rope, but not like the missing piece because the rope was frayed, so it was cut from something. Yeah. Not the same piece of rope, but similar rope that was used to kill Kimberly, as well as parts of a shirt that had been cut up that were found in the Wilson home. Um, later on, Alex says that he cut up the shirt and tied it around his head to keep his hair clean because he knew he was going to get bloody. His Highlander locks? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, his Highlander locks. Can't mess up the do. I mean, it's all about how the hair looks. That's right. So there's also a, a pair of socks that are found in the truck that Alex states he used to cover his hands so he didn't get his hands bloody. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the murder weapons are never found. So they don't find the bat or the knife that were used. Okay. All of this, though, was more than enough to bring charges. Oh, yeah. On the guys. You yeah. find the boots with the blood like you can't. And matching that. DNA. Yeah. yeah. So remember when I said David claimed he hadn't talked to Kimberly Wilson in over a year? Yeah. Well, that too was bullshit because investigators found a piece of paper with his pager number on it in her room. Okay. 
and the pager was new to him. So he couldn't have had it over a year. Over a year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was also the documentation that she had been keeping, expecting him, you know, saying that she was expecting him to pay back hey, what yeah. she had lent him. Mm-hmm. It's about $500 that he was supposed to pay her, pay her back by September of 1996. So we're in 1997. He didn't pay it back. When some people in their group of friends were asked, David said she was, he was pissed that she was trying to get the money back. Yeah. And that that was why he was planning on killing her. Apparently there was a a kill list that they had been making. Kimberly was on that list and they had discussed it in front of a few people, which if you're going to kill somebody, you don't fucking talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It also was mentioned that he was pissed because she had recently come out uh, openly as a lesbian and the few times that they had dated on and off, yeah. she wouldn't have sex with him. And it pissed um, him off. Honestly, though, neither one of them really give a motive. They don't give a fucking reason for doing this. Other than, I'm bored. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, David, the thing is, David actually just, he doesn't admit to doing it at all. He he doesn't say, even during his trial, he won't admit to it at all. He would gladly let Alex just take the complete blame for it. And Alex maintains that somebody helped him, but he won't say that it's David. So okay, weird. Um, so initially the two were going to be tried together. However, Alex's defense team um, tried to use the like, I don't know. I don't know how you say that. They He tried to um, claim that he had diminished mental capacity, uh-huh. basically, um, as a, a way to lessen the severity of the charges. Yeah. It, I mean, it doesn't work for him. They claimed that he was suffering from deep depression. He probably was. And he admitted that he um, was thinking of committing suicide in the weeks before the murders. So he, I guess, admitted this to his mother. Um, it was said that he couldn't see the difference between his role-playing fantasy and real life. Psychologists even, you know, for behalf of him, gave up and testified in the trial that he was suffering from bipolar disorder, basically. It didn't, it just, none of it came to anything, though. It, the trial lasted for three weeks. It only took the jury a little over three hours to find him guilty, So he was found guilty of first degree manslaughter and he was sentenced to four consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. They didn't um, ask for the death penalty because they at the time were 17. They were tried as adults. And um, because they were not adults, though, they can't ask for the death penalty. So life in prison without possibility of parole was the max that they could get Four life sentences. Four consecutive life sentences. You got to come back and do it again. <laughs> what I found that just makes me want to punch somebody mm-hmm. is video of him leaving the court after he was sentenced. He's smirking. He's smirking. He's smiling. He's, you know, strolling down the hallway in handcuffs and uh, reporters are, you know, asking him, does he have anything to say? He's like, no, I have no comment. He's just smirking, a smug little fucker. That tells me right there that you know exactly what the fuck you're doing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't care how depressed you are. I don't care if you're mentally ill. The fact that you are walking out of a courtroom where you just were told that you will spend the rest of your life in prison, no possibility of parole as a 17 year old, you know, juvenile mm-hmm. and you're smiling and smirking about it. You don't give a fuck. No. Yeah. So a week after Alex was sentenced, David's first trial would begin. His defense team, they just, they didn't, I don't think that they really knew what to do for him. He wouldn't admit that he was there, that he did anything, that all this evidence against him, there wasn't much they could say. They didn't even try to, I mean, they didn't go the same route as Alex's defense team with the diminished mental capacity mm-hmm. claim. His first trial ended up as with a hung jury. So 11 out of 12 members found him guilty. It only takes the one and that's it. Yeah. So he ended up a year later in his second trial with a new defense team. This time they said, yeah, somebody obviously helped Alex. Obviously Mm -hmm. there's, there's evidence that, that proves that Alex had an accomplice. Yeah. It wasn't David. David wasn't there. He didn't do it. So, Alex had somebody to help him. We don't know who it is, mm-hmm. but it's not David. Um, and again, to this day, he won't admit, even now in j- jail, he's convicted. He's there. It's done. He won't admit that he did anything. This time, though, the jury had no t- no trouble in finding him guilty. They deliberated just over six hours. Um, he faced the same sentencing as his friend Alex, uh, convicted of first-degree murder on four counts, He is also serving life in prison without possibility of parole. So something that I found very disturbing that I wanted to read um, was from Alex's fantasy journal. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so, quote, unquote, I have done the unspeakable. Death and killing neither worries or scares me. Within our hands, we hold the flame of life. I have done the unspeakable. I have become a god. He also wrote how his life had been one insult after another. His ego had torn down until only emptiness filled me. When I became empty, I filled that space with pain, anger, hated, hatred, and evil. Quote, unquote. Obviously, he's mentally unstable. Yeah, but it also sounds like he wants to confess but doesn't. Kind of. Yeah, because he said, you know, I've done the unspeakable. Right. And what would that be? Well, then he goes on to say that death and killing, it doesn't worry me or scare me. So you don't find that doing those things is incomprehensible. What about getting raped in prison? Does that scare you? Because that scares me. (laughs) That's the only thing that keeps me out of prison. That's the only thing? (laughs) Yes. Really? I am not a tall man. I am not a big guy. I would be someone's bitch in prison. Why the fuck would you want to go to prison anyways? Why would you? I didn't say that. I'm just saying. No, but you <laughs> I don't what understand what you motivates saying. me. That's the motivation to keep oh, yeah. you from, from going to prison. American me scared the hell out of me. Oh, what? shit. Yeah, that was that was graphic. Yeah. I, I've forgotten all about that. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Stuff of my nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't that's not the reason why I would not be in prison. I value my freedom. 
I don't like people telling me where to go and what to do. Well, that too. Yeah. I mean, within reason. I'm all for following, you know, things put in place for our safety, but I don't want to be confined to one room and be told, you know, at what time of the day I'm going to be doing things. No. Yeah. Okay, well, that's interesting. I mean... These are, I think these are questions that when you get married, you should ask somebody. Uh, my little uh, piece of advice, marital advice for the episode. Get you to know what surprises. <laughs> get to know why your, your spouse would not want to go to prison. As I was saying, I'm pretty sure the guy was mentally ill. Um, and I don't, I don't say that's an excuse. It's not. Because the punishment um, in this case fits the crime. Yeah. You have taken away somebody's life and you freely admit that you did that. And you did it because you built yourself up by doing it. You know, in this, he claims that he has become a God because he has weighed life and death in his hands. No, you're not God. You you don't have any right to decide who lives and dies. No. And it it screams to me sociopath, basically, which I'm I'm gonna say is a mental illness. You you're mentally ill when you're a sociopath. But I mean, I would say that about both of these guys. The one can't even admit that he did anything. Well, and then the other a one child. Am- Seventeen years old, he's not gonna admit to it. No, but I, I mean, know. you think about it, that was 1997. It's been over 10 years. He wasn't convicted until 2000, so it's been 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he still won't admit that he did anything. Yeah. At this point, it doesn't change the outcome. You're where you are going to be for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, regardless. I just, I wonder, I wonder why it is that this type of thing happens. Where is it in your childhood or your adolescence that you start these these pathways of thinking? You know, it, yeah. it that's where I really, and that's where you can't. You know, I, I one of the articles that I read was like, oh, the goth scene and the role playing and the Dungeons and Dragons, and that's not it. You know, that's it. It might be an outlet, and it might based on their frame of mind, it might give them more ideas than they they would have if they weren't into those things. But that's not the reason why this shit happens. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I just, I, I wonder where it is. They, you know, these young teenagers, is it because they have undiagnosed mental illness? I, how do you get to the point where you're okay with killing somebody you barely lived your life. Mm-hmm. Why are you okay doing this? And you think that you have the right to, to judge who lives and dies. Yeah. I don't That's, that's a tough one because like even myself growing up, I played Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't, to be honest, it was quite boring to me. So I only played a couple times. I mean, it's not something that I would think would lead you to that. I, I don't know. See, growing up in my household, Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons was considered satanic. 
It was the devil. It was. I remember when the cartoon was on Saturday mornings and my mom would come out and be like, uh, we can't watch that. You're not going to watch that. I don't even remember that. Oh, yeah. I remember that because I would want to watch it. The cartoon. Who doesn't want to watch a, a cartoon with dragons? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I I remember not understanding why she was so like up in arms about it. Mm-hmm. And that was because at that time, Christianity said, this is satanic. It's of the devil. It, it was of the devil. And, you know, we just weren't going to watch that in, the, in our household. Just like the Care Bears. <laughs> I was, the Care Bears were not acceptable because... <laughs> There was that mo- one movie where the kids were possessed or something, and they did the Care Bear stare. Sweet. Yeah, and and everybody put their energy together and their their good vibes healed the the kids or witchcraft. Something. Burn them, burn them at the stake. <laughs> it was kind of yeah. It was just kind of a you know growing up in the eighties was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was. I guess there were a lot of you know the satanic panic, the all of that that craziness it was just it was hype i mean i think that's when everyone embraced like um media yeah like mtv came out you know we had never watched music videos before i mean there's you know everyone everyone embraced media yeah i mean like that's even when the televangelist came out i mean oh my god we consumed so much media in the 80s, and I think that was the medium for us. Um, I think that's just where everyone, I mean, it was the whole mentality. Like, media was it. Like, Yeah. It was subliminal. It was very subliminal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. But I, yeah, I do think that that probably put a lot into people's minds of, you know, a panic Almost of uh, there's too much going on. I don't have control over what my children are are saying and doing anymore because it's everywhere. You know, these, these weird things that they're getting into, I don't understand them. And all the information that I'm getting about it is that it's, it's evil. It's horrible. It's going to turn them into, you know, Satanist. And, and I think that led to a lot of kids just completely, Revolting. Yeah, rebelling against yeah. their parents and or just the you know, counterculture. Right. You know, they didn't understand. I mean, the eighties was like that too. Yeah. Punk. Oh, very much. Punk rock. Yeah, punk rock was God, when when uh Billy Idol came on the TV, I remember I remember my grandma going, Why is he wearing eyeliner? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's different times and, but then I think today a lot of that lingers on. doesn't matter how educated people are. You put something on social media and they think it's true. Nobody facts, you know, checks the facts. Nobody looks at what's really going on. Half the time you don't even know if you can trust what the media puts out there. I could say that every generation has some sort of, I, I guess, this gap where the, you know, younger generation thinks that the older generation just doesn't understand. And there are these very huge differences of what, what people accept as right and wrong. I don't know. But in, in these cases, you know, where teenagers are committing murders, I just wonder what is it that's, you know, that spark of that thought 
of, well, shit's not right. Let me kill somebody. Where does that even come from? I don't know. Yeah. But it keeps me up at night. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, I mean, you'd be a millionaire. if You could figure that out. Yeah, I'm, I mean, by no means are we professionals. These are just the questions that, you know, I would like, I would like to have more understanding. Sociology, psychology is fascinating to me because I do believe that there are, you can pinpoint things in people's behavior that lead to explaining why they do things. Why are things habits? Why... Uh, you know, why do people have trains of thoughts that lead them to do crimes like this? I do believe that there are ways that we can look at that, but it also comes, it also becomes almost an infringement on somebody's privacy when you start asking people these questions. Um, how much do we deserve to know about, you know, the inside workings of somebody's life if they haven't committed a crime? Yeah. Obviously, if they've committed crimes, then we ask these questions, but, you know, just, Joe blow off the street, you're not going to ask him if he hasn't committed a crime, you know, who's going to sit down and discuss, have you ever thought about killing somebody? Nobody's signing up for those trials. Sure. <laughs> for those. Sure. Google has one. I, whatever. I'm not going to partake group. in it. Come on. I am not going to partake in a focus group like that. And I don't think anybody else would either because you don't want anybody. To, I mean, here I am sitting researching true crime and murders. God only knows what Google thinks of me. And I'm, I in no way want to commit any of these murders or crimes. There'll be plenty of evidence against you. <laughs> there would be. That's the thing. I could be, be like implicated in murder Yeah. at some point in my life. And they'd have to go back and look at my Google history because I'm researching weird shit. <laughs> Dibs. I got the movie rights to that. <sighs> I'm not committing any murders. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, that's the uh, Bellevue murders. I don't know what it is about this fucking town, but they have a really nice uh, Trader Joe's, yeah. but I will not be back. I am oh. not a fan. Oh, come on. No. You let a couple murders of families deter you? Yeah, I kind of am. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they were committed a long time ago, but I mean, then again, too, why are they so close? That really kills me. Like, these are years apart. And the similarities between the two cases, between the Raffae family and, and the Wilson family murders, I, it's kind of crazy to me. I really was expecting for something that I read to say, to come up and say, and just like this had happened previous in previous years, you know, the similarities are shocking. And was this a, a copycat crime? Yeah. Didn't see it anywhere. Yeah. That's them. Kids to kill. And there we go. Awesome. Sleep well, everybody. Yay. <laughs> lock your doors. Make sure you lock your doors. I mean, these people got in by the back patio door that was obviously unlocked. Lock your fucking doors and stay out of the goddamn woods. Yes. Yes. We'll end it on that, I guess. <laughs> um, as always, thank you for joining us. And uh, please let us know how we're doing. Get in touch with us. We got the website got the social medias and take care bye bye